Peter Bateson, from Ballymagwigan in South Derry, is a lifelong Republican activist and was a friend and comrade of hunger striker Francis Hughes. Speaking today on Guhina Akhtawahin, he recalls his memories and friendship with Francis, the determination and strength of resolve he had, and the legacy he left behind. Hi, uh, well, Francis had lived about four miles from me and, uh, in Balaghi, the, the town I am from is uh, Ballymagwigan and on the, on the log shore. And uh, so for Mary's memory of, of Francie, Francis uh, was um, around about the end of 73 or 74. Uh, I, I was vaguely aware that Francis and a few other individuals from that area had uh, came away from the, the official IRA and who were officially or unofficially known as the independents. Uh, and just around the start of 74, uh, we, were, we were in the house in Malachi and uh, I, I think it was something like a vehicle uh, was required. And uh, so it was apparently that apparently this Francis Hughes individual was, uh, was to bring the, the car. And uh, uh, we were waiting on that to happen. So uh, Francis uh, arrived. Uh, we were in the house, uh, and they only discovered just the one Francis arrived in the house uh, at no back door. And uh, the way that this became apparent was because uh, on arrival, Francis obviously thought that, you know, when, uh, to drive a car, you almost always had to drive it fast. He was, you know, he, he didn't believe in driving the car. No matter what the circumstances were, he didn't believe in driving the car any other way other than uh, fast. So uh, as a result, he was, he, there was a gravel yard in the house and he, I think he'd left half the gravel yard in around the front door. And so there were three of us in the house, uh, obviously alarmed at this, thinking maybe that the rest had arrived, and so we, when Francis came in, all smiles as he, as he uh, turned it at any time, you would have subsequently seen Francis in this big, broad smile. Uh, so we sat about berating him, you know, for coming in in such a manner. And uh, I think it's because we had, were a bit shaken up that, you know, we had made uh, for the back door, which was on existent, it wasn't. And uh, so we were, we, we were a bit obviously shaken by this. So Francis, having taken the, you know, the sanitisement, uh, he uh, then proceeded to you know, go about whatever we were to do that day. So, say Francis at that occasion, he made, he made obviously made a great impression on us, you know, and. Uh, he, Francis had a great personality, you know, it has to be said, he was uh, he had a big personality, he was fairly big in stature as well, and uh, when some of us, you know, uh, maybe had to cultivate personality, Francis just came naturally. I mean, I would describe him, he, was, he, was just, he had a personality as natural and as big as the, as the trees that lined the lane way up to the small farm he lived in. And uh, on the Scrape Road and Tom Duff. 
very, very natural, very natural personality. And always, you know, maybe sometimes annoyingly, you know, so he would, at least at night, if he were trying to sleep, Francis would be telling jokes. He probably heard the jokes, you know, a number of times, and uh, and you might have had your mind on something else, and uh, Francis would be, you know, there uh, repeating jokes that he that he we had heard a few times. So, uh, but I mean, that's what stood out about him. As I say, the background to it, I mean, that was probably moving well into nineteen seventy four, and. By that stage, you know, just generally, in terms of political, politically, uh, we had uh, saw uh, the, the IRA leaderships and going into their second uh, truce or ceasefire or negotiation, if you want to call it that. And uh, so that, that set, you know, there was a mindset, I think, among most of us that, that uh, this was probably going to be a short, you know, short enough um, you know, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't going to be a long protracted struggle. It was more likely to be uh, fairly short because within the space of, you know, from 1970, 74, the British had shown some effort, some willingness to sit with uh, their leadership. So I think that's put a thought in our heads and Fran and Francie, Francie Hughes said that uh, we would be at the negotiating table, you know, within a very short time. And I think that's what what was about. And you know, when we would travel through South Derry at that time, if you know, if you were just going about your normal day of business, I mean, the British had brought the, the you know the apparatus of war to South Derry. You know, it wasn't Francis Hughes or those who moved with them that brought that apparatus. And uh, and that whole you know, paraphernalia of war that they had brought um, was designed, obviously, to subdue and, you know, and to make, put us in our place. And it definitely, I mean, you know, Francis Hughes wasn't the type of personality who anyone was, he wasn't going to defer to anybody, you know what I mean? I mean maybe, he was a couple of years probably younger than most of, you know, also the people who were on the move at the time. And, uh, Maybe we had a thought that Francis should defer maybe to us, you know what I mean? But he wasn't the type of person that he was going to show any deference to anybody and uh, definitely not to, you know, you know uh, be subdued in, in the face of you know, the brutality that was being meted out nightly and down the roads and, you know, and so there at that time. Yeah, I mean, I, I've no doubt, you know, that the antics of, you know, the, the militias and the, the, the space or EC and, and UDR, Know, who dished out beatings on a regular basis, you know, to Francis and, and uh, the, those he would have been running with, you know, maybe coming from dances at the weekend and that. That was a very regular occurrence, you know. So, so you know, I think it was a comment Francis made to me one day that he said, if, you know, if someone was trying to put you down with an SLR, you know, that SLR was obviously a standard issue happened enough. Uh, the British Army and, uh, and UDR at the time. Uh, he says there's not much point in trying to reason with them with a, a long tail shovel. You know, Francis obviously went from a farming background and, you know, had there not been a step similar circumstances at that time, uh, would have 
and, th and those years been helping his father and his family on the farm. And I suppose, you know, there was a very simple, uh, straightforward country logic to what he, what he said. I can even understand that. And so he wasn't going to be subdued, you know. And I've no doubt that, you know, what was being meted out sedentary and Francis's, you know, uh, thoughts as to how he would, uh, he would deal with that. And say, Francis, I, I would have, um, my last sort of memory of him and the, the outside would have been sometime in 1976. And, and I suppose whatever thoughts we had, because we were a couple of years older than, than Francis, you know, uh, whatever thoughts we had about him being wayward or, or, or whatever, you know, and always the, the, the joker and, and uh, you know, the jokes and all the stuff, maybe thought that this lad, this lad, this young lad was, you know, maybe not, maybe not cut out for, you know, uh, a job in hand. All of that dissipated. I mean, by by nineteen, by my last memory of Frank in nineteen seventy six, any notions I would have had about Frank's, you know, capability or determination was, was was all laid to rest. He was he was someone you'd have wanted in your corner, and uh, there was no, no doubt about that. I remember it was during sometimes during seventy four. I actually think it was uh, at the time of. The, the truce in 74, or which one on the 75. Uh, I, I, by this stage, I was on, on, living away from home or on the run, as they talked about. And, uh, but during the truce, I'd obviously felt some degree of confidence that I could slip home some days and, uh, and do a bit of work about the house. So this particular day, um, my dad had insisted that I mow the lawn and I had a little lawnmower and you could hear it, nearly hear it in my lap head was that loud. And uh, so I was busy away mowing the lawn and then I spotted my dad head out to the lane with the shotgun. He, he had no shotgun, which was probably more of a danger to himself than it was to anybody else. But uh, so I looked down the lane and was there. There was a car coming up to the end. Apparently what had happened is somebody had told my dad that the undercover British soldiers were driving around and this particular colour of a car and so he thought he saw, saw the, this car coming up the lane and uh, so I don't know what he intended to do with the shotgun but he, it turned out it was Francis Hughes and we only sort of realised this one. Francis came in close and and even, you know, at the point of staring down the bar like my dad's shotgun, he was still smiling and he, he put the sort of put the hand out the the uh, the driver. He was driving the car himself and he was ahead at the at the driver's door and he was shouting, Paddy, it's only me. And uh, so my dad gave him the serious rubbish in life for, <laughs> for driving around and more or less what are you doing driving around and but he'd British army car so so uh, towards Francis, I think, replied, this is an army here, but it's not a foreign British army here. <laughs> so, so, uh, and anyway, we were heading down the lane. He says to me, hey boy, he says, uh, your dad shot me if, if I had one of us. 
and I said to him, well, my dad has formed me, and uh, was going to explain to him what was being, but that was about, and uh, I said, but if he had a missed you, I would have had a go at you, and he, he laughed out loud, and he says, oh, well, then I knew I wasn't safe enough, you know, so... <laughs> On another occasion, he, he contacted me. I think it was probably the same year, and he insisted that he had to go on some type of important business to the loop. And uh, there was a carnival on the loop, a marquee, and the person he he was uh, educated to meet him was on was, was going to be the marquee. Anyway. So I had a notion that didn't really sound right, but. Uh, I had access to a vehicle and so we landed up to the marquee and uh, he left it and he said, I'll be as quick as possible. And I sat about for a long time and then it got suspicious. And obviously he, was, he, he, he had uh, set up a romantic kit, you know what I mean? So uh, and he had reserved me and there the car and made his way to the car. So I went around onto the marquee, must have spent half an hour in the marquee trying to find him and came back out, uh, out to the car again and uh, he was, obviously he was the romance was you know and blossom on the lip that night so uh, <laughs> so on the way home anyway I never mentioned it and I anything to him at all I think he was trying to say to me that your man had turned up but uh, nothing happened that night and and uh, we would probably have to go back in the following weekend, you know, to uh, to volley up. So, I the, went uh, first visit to prison in June nineteen seventy six, and I've probably been talking to, to Francis, uh, you know, a few weeks prior to that, and obviously that was the last time I would I would not ever you know sort of meet Francis again, and. Uh, so anything I would have heard or learned about Francis Keyes after that would have been on the news or news reports or whatever. But and there's usually in association with uh, the uh, exploits of the Secretary uh, Brigade of the IRA and uh, Fra Francis uh, existed on the outside during all that. You know that period. And that was extraordinary in itself. You know because Francis was operating in a very very small. Very small area, a few townlands, you know, and to and to evade capture and to you know have so many encounters with the, the uh, British Army and and, and UDR and police, you know, and to evade capture for that long was an extraordinary feat in itself. Until in in St Patrick's Day, sixteenth of March, uh, nineteen seventy, obviously Francis was captured. On the Glenshaven, and and landed eventually in in the East Blocks. In the news country, you know, Francis was going on the hunger strike. Uh, and so far as you can, you know, judge, you know, what the character of people that uh, that he would enter, you know, on the hunger strike. Uh, and so far as you assess whether Frank, you know, would have. Would have would or wouldn't have, you know. Um, I, I I cannot say that I was surprised, you know, to learn that Francis Cuse was was going on hunger strike. The one from, you know, the experience of 
his involvement, you know, in the few years prior to that, and his determination. And he said, no doubt that he would know that he would uh, that he would definitely be determined to go through with, with the hunger strike once once he embarked on that. So feeling, you know, among some of the prisoners and I was, uh, I mean, for many of us, a feeling of helplessness, helplessness, you know, that, uh, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the case that the prisoners in the cages were, uh, or weren't doing anything. I mean, there was, there was obviously a great lot of assistance going on in terms of the whole publicity element and that, and, that, and uh, so was, was being uh, organised or through the through the cages, it just seemed it seemed strange that you know over the wall, a few yards away over the wall, like I mean, people were on hunger strike for political status, and uh, and there we were, you know, in the cages uh, with that status, and that just you know, even yet, you know, that that seemed seemed rare that that, that obviously they, you know, they attempt by. The British to criminalise struggle failed, but uh, you know at the at the time, you know it just seemed uh, it seemed rare that, that you know that, that rare situation. And when the when the news you know, came through of uh, France's death as as a dead, you know all the hunger strikers, I mean it was just like stunned, you know, and uh, I suppose you maybe sort of a non reality about the whole thing, you know what I mean? So the legacy that that uh, Francis Hughes has left, you know, in the South Derry South Derry is as clear I mean he had, before he went into prison, you know, he, he was inspiring, you know, people throughout throughout the six counties and far farther afield than, than that, you know, and uh, and his inspiration is uh, still very, very much uh, alive today. You know, it was uh, a great honour to have known Francis and I have very little doubt that if, you know, he can suffice as any guess where anybody would be the day had they survived the struggle. Uh, but someone with that enthusiasm, that energy, you know, and selflessness would uh, almost certainly have been making, you know, great contribution today, there's no doubt about that. And I've little doubt that Francis at the time when he was involved and the exploits he was involved in was under no illusion about where ultimately, you know, the struggle would uh, go. And I would have no doubt at all that he knew that it would end, it would come to a point of negotiation, that there would be at some point a negotiation and I say that that thought process, that mindset would have been reinforced by by the fact that by, you know, his time of his capture, the British government had sat down with the leaderships now, because obviously he can treat with uh, some suspicion the British motives that on those occasions, but it was no doubt about, you know, in terms of uh, Republican motives, Republican motives was to, uh, you know, bring to an end as, as quickly as possible the conflict. And obviously he would go forward believing that everyone would be genuinely trying to do that. France, would Francis be, you know, how would he feel about 
the situation today, I don't doubt he would be making a positive contribution today. And I say it's it was a, just an honour to have known. So.